Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show where we learn about the inner lives of people we might think we know well. Today I'm talking to Tuppence Middleton. I have OCD and that's one of the things that gets much worse when I'm not working. So what I would call my routines, which can vary from mental counting to checking behaviours, you know, checking lights, checking cookers. They tend to get much worse when I'm in the house a lot and by myself a lot and not working. So those things you find various types of coping mechanisms for, which I think are sometimes helpful and sometimes not. You might recognise Tuppence from TV shows including War and Peace, which, oh my goodness, I loved so much, and Downton Abbey. And now she's starring in Our House, a four-part properly edge-of-your-seat thriller on ITV. I mean, I was literally gripping the sofa and at times hiding behind a cushion, but in the best possible way. It's unbelievably watchable. It's based on the best-selling novel by Louise Candlish and begins with Tuppence's character, Fiona, coming home to find strangers moving into her house. I mean, worst nightmare. All her family's possessions and furniture are gone. Then she realises her young kids and a strange husband are also missing. And serious panic sets in from there for Fiona and for you, the viewer. Now, when I was talking to Tuppence, who is so lovely, we ended up talking a lot about panic in this chat, actually. Me about the panic I feel particularly at night time and Tuppence about her OCD and compulsive behaviours. They're things we haven't, I guess, necessarily talked about in great deal on Happy Place before. So I'm incredibly grateful to Tuppence for talking about this and glad that we could really get stuck into a new subject matter that most definitely needs covering. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com All right, are you ready for it? Here's the show. Let's do it. Tuppence. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Where are you today? Are you at home? Um, I'm actually in Sweden today. Oh, what are you doing in Sweden? Uh, my partner lives in Stockholm, so uh, I kind of travel between both. Uh, yeah, so I'm currently in um, icy Sweden. <laughs> how good. Do you know what? I've never been to Sweden. It's one of those places where I'm annoyed at myself that I haven't, but it's it's on the list. I've got to go. Yeah, it's uh, it's... A really great place. I mean, you can do, if you were just coming for uh, the weekend in Stockholm, you could kind of walk it and see a lot of the city in a long weekend. So it's perfect little um, short city trip. But it's, yeah, the rest of Sweden, I still kind of want to explore a bit more. And it's really beautiful. Oh, how amazing. How gorgeous. Um, 
Now, we've actually never met in person, but I no. kind of know, know you through a friend, Justine, who's yes. one of my best mates in the world, who does your makeup occasionally. And I've heard yeah. so many wonderful things about you. So I'm really, really glad that we're getting to have a chat today. It's a long yeah. time coming for There's sure. There's been a lot of um, near misses, I think. I know, I know. <laughs> and obviously, I in the modern world, it's very easy to do so, but I completely stalk you on Instagram, like we all sort of stalk oh, yeah. each other. And your beautifully curated Instagram, which is so gorgeous, because unlike many people out there who um, are sort of posting pictures of avocado on toast or pretty dresses <laughs> you're you're really specific in in how you lay out your Instagram and it's really more about your photography yeah I mean I, I don't know if I'd even go as far as to say photography I feel like that's giving it a bit too much credit but um I don't know I, I was always really conflicted with Instagram as I think a lot of people are if they have a job which is kind of semi in the public eye um in the you know, you're, you're allowing people access to your life and you can choose how much you you do that or not. And and that's part of your job. It's an inevitable part of both of our jobs. Um, so you, you kind of come to accept it. But it's also, you do have a choice about how much you share with people. And for me, the other uh, social media accounts that I find interesting to look at usually aren't the ones where... I know, you know, an excessive amount about someone's life or when they're sharing their dinner or constant photographs of themselves, which is totally fine if that's what you want to do. But it's, um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know why anyone would be interested in that side of my life. So, uh, yeah, I try well, to use it. Well, they definitely would. They 100% <laughs> would. But it's just, it is getting your own sort of balance right with it, isn't it? And I think mine, mine keeps changing. Sometimes I feel like there's worth in me saying something quite revealing but then weirdly the last well not weirdly the world's gone absolutely crazy the last few weeks I've just felt a bit like I want to hide and I'm only really posting things that hopefully will be of some help or use and it feels sort of too exposing to post anything else at the moment because I think we forget that it's been really normalized that we sort of share Mm. every part of our lives but it, it affects you in a way and it's strange having people you don't know know stuff about you it's such a, such a weird concept that we've normalized yeah and it's also it's so dependent on how you're feeling that day or that week or that month you know sometimes you feel really happy with how your life's going and you want to share that with people and talk about what you're doing the projects you're doing about your life and then sometimes you you do want to hide and you don't really want people to have access to that so yeah it's a tricky thing because then i think that you you can give a certain amount and then maybe people expect something from you and and that's quite difficult to maintain that level of openness with people that you don't know so i think it's a constant sort of battle and you know and then and, and then you come up against you know what we're all experiencing now and i've i've spent most of my morning scrolling kind of doom scrolling the internet terrifying myself about potential nuclear war and what's going on in the world yeah. and 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 uh, and then you really think, God, if I post this picture, uh, you know, uh, anything, a picture or a, a statement on Twitter about something really normal or something to do with your life, is that, does anyone even care? Is it, is it, yeah. what's the point? You know, you kind of, everything's always, uh, you're, you're weighing things up against each other all the time. It's a weird way of, of expressing ourselves and, and most of us do it. And it's, I think it's just a constant, you know, sort of checking in with yourself and your own barometer of, of what feels right. But yeah, it's it's very strange. But anyway, going back to the initial point, I think yours is very beautiful and I really like <laughs> that it's 
it's quite different to many other people's out there. And I really enjoy sort of seeing, I think you get a sense of who you are from it, from the sort of the black and white photos and the subjects that you choose to picture. It's really beautiful. And obviously we're, we're catching you today at a really busy time because our house is out next week. This will be going yeah. out, I think, the week that it goes out. And because yes. um, we're so, it's March. Oh, my God. Terrifying. It's already nearly March. <laughs> um, and also the Downton Abbey movie is coming out as well. So it's, and I'm sure you're working on a ton of other stuff too. How do you deal with very busy periods like that where you have lots of things launching at the same time? Do you experience overwhelm or are you quite laid back about it all? Um, oh, I don't know that I'm laid, about, laid back about anything, but I think that, it's quite a different experience, I think, being busy making something and being busy promoting something. That they're, they're sort of two quite different beasts, I suppose. I think I'm I much prefer to be busy in the making of something when you're filming and you're in that routine of um, you know, early mornings and long days and, and I find that very good kind of mental health wise as a, a something to focus on and, and distract myself from other things. But um yeah, the the promotion side is um yeah, it's a kind of double-edged sword because it, you obviously always want people to see something that you've done and that you're proud of and, and you want as many people as possible to enjoy it. But then you are also putting out a much more personal side of yourself. You you know, if you if you turn up to an event, if you are interviewed as yourself and, and you're not playing a character, then it's much... I find that much more stressful than the process of actually uh, creating something. So it, it's... Yeah, it's really fun. It's really nice. And, you know, when when lots of things come at once, that's always the beauty and sometimes coincidence of of timing. But I think, yeah, it it can be a bit overwhelming at times. You just have to take it in your stride. And, you know, like like I said, whatever else is going on in the world often affects your reaction to that. You think, okay, don't be so stupid. There are bigger things out there. It's just an interview or it's just a appearance or whatever you're doing it's you, you have to put it in perspective <laughs> you do but it is to, you know I I am only ever myself when I'm broadcasting or in the public eye I can't ever there's no other side to it I don't get to sort of play a role but I still find it terrifying I still find yeah. promoting books or whatever terrifying because I'm out of control you know I'm much more in control when I'm the interviewer yeah. rather than the person on the other end of it. So it, it's, it is exposing and it is quite scary. And then, of course, there's our other bit that most would think is utterly glamorous and um, the sort of coveted bit where you're walking down the red carpet or you're wearing some beautiful gown and you've had your hair and makeup done. I mean, I don't ever particularly love that bit. How, how do you no. feel about that? Oh, God, I, it's awful. I mean, I know that's the thing that always looks the most glamorous and, and should feel the most exciting, but I'm always anxious before I go to any red carpet events I always you know it's always a rush you've you've never got enough time you're kind of making decisions on the outfit really last minute and then you are kind of thrown in front of all these people especially if it's a kind of big red carpet event something like you know the Downton Abbey premieres are always quite big events and it's just uh, really overwhelming on the senses and, and you know stupid things that you carry with you for life like I've uh, I've had horrible skin. I mean, you know, kind of teenage acne since I was basically hit puberty. And I think that's something that I'm always so uh, aware of and insecure about and, and things that other people don't see or, or don't care about and perhaps are in your head even more than you think. But it's, yeah, just, just little things become huge and you're, you're, you're so overtly aware of everything. <laughs> well, you've got all eyes on you, which is yeah. so unnerving. And then there's 
there's sort of that bit where everyone's looking, but there's also then if photographs are taken and then mm. you might have to see them afterwards. I'm like, nope, 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 don't want to look, don't want to yeah. look. Like it's just, it's quite an unnatural thing. I mean, we're all experiencing it on some level again because of social media and how out there we can all be. But it, it's funny. I, I think we've all become probably slightly more judgmental about ourselves and each other because of that. And the red carpet is almost sort of the pinnacle of that. Like, yeah. all eyes on you looking for any flaws or any oddities or whatever it might be, which is crazy because that's certainly the stuff that I celebrate, if anything, in real life. But there's yeah. still this discord when it comes to the, like the mainstream media and how women are seen. It's very odd. And it's also that instantaneous nature of everything you know you can be a a few seconds away from the red carpet having just left it and having just have your photo taken and then it's already on the internet before you've left the event and you know it's on social media in a way that you can zoom in so close onto details that it's it's horrific really Uh, what you what you know that technology has done to you know it's it's so I look at those kind of old beautiful very uh, you know admittedly very staged old Hollywood portraits of stars and starlets and they're all so um soft filter and and posed and that it was one or two photographs that are released and there was no paparazzi and it's that it's such a different world now you're under such intense scrutiny I know oh my god I've just had this awful flashback (laughs) (laughs) of like this one time this is yonks ago I don't even know how many it's probably like 15 years ago or something and I went to, people are going to Google this now, which is such an unfortunate <laughs> thing that I'm bringing this up. But I went to the Brits and I was wearing this dress that was made of lots of sort of metal beads. And I thought, oh my God, this is so edgy and cool. <laughs> but like, I was in a rush. I'd come from radio, whatever I was doing. And I thought, brilliant. I just need nude underwear underneath and I'm good to go. You can't oh, see any of that, obviously. Yeah. The cameras flashed and I had... Just, it was just my underwear. So we could see me walking with underwear on and oh, horrible no. big spanks and a horrible nude padded bra. And just, <laughs> I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it was mortifying and yeah. utterly gross. I mean, the whole thing is hideous. So look, oh, let's God. talk about, um, I know, it's very, very traumatic. Um, let's talk about our house, which I absolutely loved. I was lucky enough to get um, a, a preview link sent over oh, so great. I could watch it. And I was watching it at home. My husband walks in and then all of a sudden he just, didn't leave he was there he was fixated <laughs> he was glued he loves things that are very high octane and stressy I sometimes yeah. find them harder to watch but I found this was very manageable because it wasn't too traumatic or awful that I couldn't watch it it was yeah. just it kept you on the edge and I always find it really fascinating that now undoubtedly this will be a huge hit it's a massive ITV show and it's got that amazing storyline but I always find it so interesting that psychologically we love watching things that are utterly terrifying and stressful. What is that about? I know. it's. I, I've also found that in, I think, particularly over the last couple of years, I suppose, the, the pandemic years. But really over the last few months, I have found myself really craving horror. And I'm a real scaredy cat. I really frighten easily. I watch everything through my fingers like Same. a little girl. But, I, but there's something about it which is really addictive. And I... I just keep wanting to find something that will scare me more, even though I know... I mean, I, I get scared at the, at the the most ridiculous films, uh, but I still want to find the ultimate scary film that makes me not want to sleep at night. But I, it's so... I don't know. I think it's... Especially when you're going through 
really stressful times in your life. I think it's kind of release and often, you know, horror films are, of course, reflecting the times that we're living in. And so I think people always do go to horror as a sort of escapism. But yeah, I, I think especially, you know, with, with something like Our House, because it's that that thriller element is 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 a little bit more manageable, I think, for a lot of people than than out and out horror. And um, yeah. I think because there is also this other storyline, which is really the breakdown of a relationship, then it's it's more manageable because you can dip in and out of the thriller element. You're kind of flipping between these two timelines and and there is something which is grounding it in reality as well as all of these kind of extraordinary things happening, you know, and, and driving the story forwards. It's also just a kind of sad story about a love story sort of in reverse. You're kind of, you're seeing the the uh, gestation of this relationship and then how it's slowly falling apart. And, and that's unfortunately something a lot of people have gone through or are going through and understand. And, you know, so many people have blended families and, you know, um, second, third, fourth marriages. And, you know, it's 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 a really common thing. So I'm hoping that there will be something in there that people can relate to. Without a doubt, you know, I'm, I'm we have a blended family and it is so obviously so common. Tons of my friends mm. are in the same boat as me or are going through divorces, breakups, yet we don't see that relationship breakdown. And also the very mundane, practical aftershock of such a thing, which this show... Yeah really interestingly offers up. You don't see the kind of who's going to live where, who, where, how do we do that, who has the kids when. Like, that's all part of a very long, painful process for, for yeah. people breaking up that we just don't see. So I thought that was such an important element of it. Yeah, and I, I actually hadn't really come across this idea of bird nesting, which it, uh, is one of the storylines in the show where the central couple, Fee and Bram, are going through a separation and they're trying to work out what's best for the kids and they come up with the solution called bird nesting, which is apparently becoming much more common, where the kids stay in the family home and the parents come and go. So they rent a smaller flat and they take it in turns to stay in the family home. And um, it, there are there are elements of it which are great and a good idea and, and really helpful for the kids, but also it you know, prevents the the relationship having any real closure and there's you know a lot of other material and financial elements which are then kind of linked for the foreseeable future and it's really it's it's messy and and I'm sure that for some people it really works if the relationship is amicable which you know at at a certain point it is between um, our characters but yeah it's uh there's so many ways to go through a separation or a divorce and None of them are the right way or the wrong way. It's just what works for those people. Exactly. It's got to be, it's got to work for you and your ex and the kids and whatever you deem is right is right. You know, there is no wrong or right. And that's why it was really interesting. I'd never actually heard of that set up either. And it was, you know, very interesting thing to learn about. And obviously you've got Fee also going through right at the start this utter nightmare of coming back to her utterly gorgeous house dark blue sort of sexy house and then you've got (laughs) another family in there I mean it's just the worst possible start in the best possible way because you're gripped you're thinking what the bloody hell is going on here I mean your character is stressed a lot yeah (laughs) how did you I mean and rightly so because her life is literally falling apart at times yeah how did you cope with that because 
Obviously, you've got these long filming days for long periods of time where you're reenacting someone who is severely stressed out, who's getting divorced, who's lost her home, who's completely confused at what the hell's going on and where her kids are at points. How do you deal with that? And does that affect your own mental health when you're outside of work doing your own thing? Yeah, um, well, when we were filming our house, it was... The country wasn't in full lockdown, but um, certainly the industry was still behaving as if it was because that's the only way you can could really make anything. And, and still short. now, yeah, exactly. For, like today to some extent. And, and because Martin and I were in every day of the shoot, then there's this huge responsibility on your shoulders. You know, you really feel, you feel responsible for the crew. You don't want to go and do anything on a weekend because you're too scared to get COVID and infect everyone. And then the whole thing shuts down for two weeks if you can't go in and work. So so I really did just do this job and that was what I did for, you know, I don't know how many, two or three months. But there's something quite focusing about playing a character who's in constant turmoil because then you just channel it into <laughs> the everyday at work and you don't really have to take it home with you. So I felt, um, yeah, I, I'm always much calmer in general when I'm working I think that when I'm not working is when my mind has too much time to overthink and overanalyze and that's when I I tend to be more kind of mentally stressed anyway I think so it was more about keeping on top of the story in terms of okay we have these two storylines running concurrently and and both of them are quite high anxiety and you know but also you want to keep the momentum going at the same time as not peaking too soon you know you have four episodes to tell the story over and you have lots of things which are happening to this woman which are really stressful and you you kind of have you have to pitch them at certain points you know they can't all be equally stressful or um equally catastrophic because then that's boring to watch so it, it was more about okay how do I how do I get the 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 narrative to feel kind of balanced and varied, uh, which is, you know, where your director and your co-star, especially Martin, it, you know, comes in very handy. But yeah, I, I do often find that I'm much, much less stressed when I'm working, even if it's, you know, every minute of your day and you're not sleeping. I kind of like that motor to be running. Yeah, I hear you. I, I know that one very, very <laughs> yeah. well. It's why I often find having a break from work or like the half term or whatever it is, when the kids are off school and I'm, I've taken four or five days off work, I find it harder because yeah. it's like, oh, now I've got to deal with all the shit that I've not been thinking about for however many weeks when I've been just on this hamster wheel of work. It's where it all comes to the surface. So in those moments where you get a break in between productions and you yeah. have got to sift through all the mental sort of stuff that's going on there, what do you do? How do you deal with with that if they, if there has been a sort of a dam in place when you've got yeah. you know, a long production and then it's gone you know how, yeah. how do you cope with that um it depends I mean usually you, you kind of find ways to manage it I think that I always sleep a lot worse when I'm not working I, I tend to be a bit more of an insomniac because nighttime is when my brain kind of comes alive and you know it's it's so I I still don't know uh how to deal with it and I think it's one of those things that just comes and goes sometimes I find it really easy to sleep and sometimes it's I I still think I have that slightly childlike inbuilt resistance to going to bed that I just I find it I associate it with um 
I don't know, sort of doom or something that I'm just going to sit there. <laughs> You've got school the next day. Yeah, exactly. It's the next day is school and, you, you know, you don't want to you don't want to wake up in the morning because it's uh, you, that means you have a whole school week. And yeah. So do, do you find it harder to fall asleep or do you go to sleep, wake up and then you can't get back to sleep? No, just falling asleep. I think Same. I, once I'm asleep, then uh, I'm fine. I'm kind Same. of uh, I'm home free. But I just yeah, I, I, it's just tossing and turning, lying awake thinking of all the things I should have done should have said need to do haven't done all the things I should be worrying about (laughs) you know yeah that that's that's my main problem and I think that yeah I aside from nighttime and sleeping I'm you know I've I've talked about this previously um in another podcast that I did kind of solely about the subject but that I have OCD and that's one of the things that gets much worse when I'm not working so what I would call my routines or uh you know which can vary from mental counting to checking behaviours, you know, checking lights, checking cookers, checking taps, all of those things. They they tend to get much worse when I'm in the house a lot and by myself a lot and not working. So those things you find various types of coping mechanisms for, which I think are sometimes helpful and sometimes not. Like one of the things that I that really helps me if I'm struggling to leave the house, which is a thing that sometimes happens if I'm in the house a lot, then I I suppose you just start to feel safe there. And then when you, when you leave, there's so many things that come rushing into my mind, of, you know, mainly things that you're responsible for in your house, you know, that it doesn't flood, that your cat doesn't die, that, you know, you don't set it on fire accidentally and, and have to pay for all of your neighbours' houses. Um, you know, all of those things which seem totally ridiculous, but that race through your head when you're trying to leave the house in a hurry and then you make yourself late. Then I'd started to, for example, take pictures of things around the house so that if I was on the tube or the bus or walking and I'm half an hour away from my house and I suddenly think, oh my God, I left the tap on or, oh, I left the the, the hob on then I can look at my phone and I realise as long as I trust my eyes in that moment, that which I often don't, but then I can see, okay, that, that's often I have physical evidence, which, you know, probably a lot of people would say is slightly enabling my own compulsions, but it's, no, I think, I think whatever to, works. <laughs> yeah, whatever works to, to settle that fear and that worry, especially if you can't get back to the house. I think you, you've got to do what you've got to do. And I, and I very much enjoyed listening to that interview that you did with Rose Cartwright, who's obviously mm. an author that's written prolifically about Puro, which she yeah. experiences, which is more sort of intrusive thoughts. And yeah. and she's written brilliantly about that. And I, I and it's very generous of you to sort of, you know, go there and offer, offer that up about yourself because being an actor, you don't have to. It's not, you know, your mm. career isn't relying on you telling that story but I just thought it was so generous because so many people again will see you on TV and think oh my god she's got it all sus she's this amazing success and has this wonderful life and for you to actually go look this is going on behind the scenes some of the time Mm. I think is seriously helpful and when I was listening to that interview I mean I learned a lot certainly but also you know I've never been diagnosed with OCD but I noticed in in times where I've where my insomnia is pretty bad or mm. even if I have heightened anxiety, panic attacks, which I have quite regularly, mm. I, I definitely fall into some of these patterns. And, and it's yeah. it's not all day and every day, but it's certainly if I'm home alone with the kids and my husband's not at the house, I will check everything before I go to bed. And then often I'll have yeah. to get out of bed and do it again. And... 
I don't know. You know, I, I've, I, I've never given it a name or looked into it too much. I've just thought, oh, God, I'm just a nervous person. And this is just how I am. But it was really comforting to sort of hear you both speak so openly and honestly and use the correct terminology because it just helps you understand it better and helps you sort yeah. of realise it. Like the one thing that Rose was saying is, I can go, this isn't me, this is Puro. Yes. Rather than going, this is me, I'm flawed, I'm faulty. No, this is Puro or this is OCD. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah, and also breaking it down into those components. Like you were saying, you will have some of those behaviours which are compulsions and, and that they are, you are performing those in as a reaction or as a coping mechanism for something else. So, you know, there's something that you is worrying you or stressing you out. And even if that's not a recurring obsession, like someone might have with OCD, then it's still, that's the reaction to it. And and there are so many elements, you know, you have your obsession, you have your compulsive behavior or thought that, um, that stems from that. And then even before the obsession that, you know, there's it, that obsession doesn't crop up out of nowhere. That's been, that's been sort of brewing for years or, you know, uh, months, however long you've been suffering with it. But that comes from something else. And it's it's about trying to figure out where that comes from, how you best deal with it. And and for me, certainly, there's been so many different manifestations of it throughout my life. You know, when I was a teenager, it was much more counting numbers, mental, check, mental kind of counting. And then as I got into my late teens and early 20s, it became much more about anxiety and panic attacks. And, you know, just a sort of more generalized feeling, feeling of anxiety. And then as I've gotten older, it's sort of, been more routine based so all of these things have always been there but in slightly different forms and I think they always seem to come from an overriding thought which is uh, and and it's something I also talked about with Rose I think is that I have something called a metaphobia which is a fear of vomiting which is a really specific fear and if I ever meet someone else with it it's always quite exciting because I you feel um like a total oddball if you have that and you you know as with a lot of obsessions you never really talk about them and if people do see them or they see any evidence of it they only really see your compulsion so they see the behavior that comes from that but they don't really understand why you're doing it and what that comes from and then when you say something like that especially it's so specific and so niche that it's kind of hard for people to understand that that can be an, an overriding thought which which affects a lot of your behavior in life and, and it's sort of just in the back of your mind just kind of ticking along there's there's not really you can live a, a perfectly functioning life with OCD and for most people it doesn't look like anything's happening at all and so I think that's why it's quite hard and, and why I wanted to talk about it in that podcast series and and with you because it's not something that I ever heard anyone talking about when I was oh, I must have been 11 or 12 when I first started to show signs of it and and my parents hadn't really heard of it and and we had to go to lots of different specialists to talk about it uh, because it, it just wasn't it wasn't something people knew much about or certainly the people didn't talk about publicly. So there was no point of reference and uh, there, there wasn't really anyone else I could talk to about it, certainly my age, but even as an adult that that could tell me how to deal with it. So, you know, it's uh, and, and there are so many different things you can do, you know, whether you're looking at something more standard talking therapy or CBT or and it really is what works for you, I suppose. But I think it's also one of those things, like a lot of other mental health conditions that you sort of learn to live with. I mean, you can, I'm sure, cure yourself of them. 
and I'm sure many people have. I don't think that that's been the case with me, but I do I do think that you also have to find the positives in it. And something that I find really useful about OCD is that it does at times force me to really focus my energy and it, it can be a kind of driver when, when you're feeling that kind of anxiety. It can, I, I always remember someone saying that it's, you are one of the best people in a crisis because it's, it's almost like you are constantly planning for the worst case scenario. So when it happens, you're able to deal with it quite calmly, actually, um, which I've often found to be quite true. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've said so many important things there. And, and one of them being that, you know, you're actually quite accepting that you might live with this forever. And I actually had a really similar chat Last week with a therapist that I occasionally see because I, I'd had really bad anxiety a couple of weeks ago and we sort of got quite real about it because I was saying oh, I have tried so many bloody things for my panic attacks at night time mm. and I sometimes just feel like, you know what, I, I don't feel in any way in control of this and I don't think I could ever get rid of this. I just don't see how I could face my past any more than I have I don't see how I could I don't know what else I could do I feel like I'm failing mm. or something and she said well let's be real here like maybe you won't maybe you'll always yeah. have panic attacks and it was actually a relief like oh yeah oh okay, okay. yeah like that's not the end of the world it's, I don't like them I would like not to have them but I have survived for the last six years with them so yeah. I can continue having them and I think it's sometimes a relief to say, rather than us constantly be looking for self-improvement to mm. fix ourselves, to fix the past, to get over it. I think it's sometimes relieving to go, this might just be it. It's not giving up. It's just having a healthy relationship with what you're dealing with rather than constantly trying to combat it, I guess. Yeah, and I think there doesn't have to be a goal, you know. Like you said, oh. it doesn't have to be okay, by this point in two years' time, I will have gotten rid of it because what does that even mean? I think there are yeah. so many, there are also so many different levels of it. And I'm, even as I'm talking about it now, I'm so aware that there are people who are housebound because they yeah. cannot, you know, leave the house and they are they are crippled by a condition like OCD. And I, and I am lucky enough that I'm not in that category, that I, it's something that I've been able to live with and that it's, um, you know, it, it, I'm a sort of, functioning version of that uh and, and I really sympathize with people who you know it can really destroy your life and and then in that case there are I suppose even more intensive therapies and and medication that you can look into but I found a sort of mix of varying things have helped over the years depending on how how good or bad it is at that time but yeah so I think it is about not beating yourself up about that and trying to enjoy those moments where it's not quite as overwhelming as it has been in the past you know I and I I really hear you with the anxiety and the the insomnia and sometimes when you're in the middle of a really bad cycle then you just it's impossible to imagine 
ever just going to bed and feeling normal. Yeah. I can't believe that some people just get into bed and immediately fall asleep. That blows my mind. <laughs> I know. It's my husband. It, my yeah. husband literally goes straight to sleep and I can't... I mean, I used to be like that many, many years ago, but, you know, I was a very different person back then. So I can see why and you can sort of see the thread of it, but it still feels out of reach or it seems certainly unattainable that there would be another option at times and that's fine Mm. I think we need to stop being so hard on ourselves and you know you just talked there about the severity of OCD that some Mm. people experience and it's not nice for anyone on any level but when you are housebound when it's very severe it's obviously Mm. you know horrendous and highly detrimental to your quality of life yet you start this Radio 4 interview that you did by telling a story about a mug you'd received at Christmas that summed Mm. up so perfectly the feeling around OCD that there are way more sort of um, throwaway jokes about OCD and it's and it's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes, whereas you wouldn't do that with sort of depression or or acute anxiety. It's so strange. It's seen as the 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 funny one i think as the, of yeah. the mental health conditions because it's because i suppose some of the compulsions can seem so disassociated from from the the thoughts or yeah. um obsessions that are causing them that it it's almost absurd i think to some other people's eyes so i, I sort of understand where that comes from but it do, it does feel like it's it's made light of quite a lot or that it's um dismissed as being a sort of ultra form of cleanliness you know and someone who's a bit of a germ phobe and you know especially going through something like a pandemic that's I imagine massively triggering for a lot of people Hugely. who have OCD and um and for me it was something that because I already had a lot of fear around the sickness thing specifically vomiting not not kind of corona or coughing or anything like that then it felt like this the moment where it was announced that people had to start wearing masks in closed off areas. I felt this kind of relief. I thought, God, I wish people had been doing that all the time because I just felt so often when I've been sat in a room or a cinema and and I'm worried that someone's ill and I'm sat next to them and I'm going to catch something infectious or, you know, every time I go on a plane, I think about it. I scan the crowd of people at the airport and then everyone once they're on the plane to to look for signs of possible illness. Are they going to develop some sort of hideous norovirus while we're in the air and I'm going to get it? I mean, it's that kind of constant um, repetitive thought. And so when when COVID came along and we were all kind of forced to be in our houses a lot, not only did that sort of calm me slightly because I felt that people would be generally more aware of their personal hygiene washing their hands more it was something which I'd always done a lot and always had very dry hands it was also kind of this uh, kind of an excuse to be more antisocial and I think that unfortunately I'm one of those people who who has got that in them and I think that it's not like it's not something that I'm proud of but I just I feel like I'm you know I always have a lot of guilt with friends and friends who I love and I'm really close to that I just I just I don't know what it is I just if if a party is cancelled oh then I'm thrilled (laughs) yeah or if I just 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 the just having corona to kind of back me up on the fact that I didn't have to see people as much because I I I just find socializing very tiring and I I love 
being around people and I love socializing at work and I love to spend time more one-on-one with friends but I do I do find it and I have always found it really hard work and I you know all of my family and close friends know that I hate answering the phone I hate speaking on the phone I don't answer it no one calls me anymore (laughs) no one no one rings me I haven't had a phone call in years no one I won't pick up so but no I, one what, calls. What is it? I can't get to the bottom. It's I so strange. It's happened. So I had this chat literally yesterday with my husband because we had, <laughs> it was my son's ninth birthday. We had some people kind of coming and going with their kids and they're all people I love. Like I yeah. have, that's the disclaimer. I adore them. <laughs> I love their company. But when everyone had left, I was like, I feel so drained and I actually feel a bit run down. Like I'm sort yeah. of depleted and Actually, now I'm beating myself up about it because I feel like there's something wrong with me that I can't just yeah. deal with everyday socialising. And the pandemic <laughs> has 100% made it worse because I yeah. didn't have to do it for so long and I really enjoyed it. I I really enjoyed the bit of it, isolated, that I could just be with my family and not see anyone else. And I, again, worried about that. I'm, am I enjoying this too much? Like, I'm yeah. worried that I'm enjoying... And I... I really now know, as I get older, I need moments of solitude to counterbalance all the talking I do at work or with Mm. the mums at the school gate, whatever. I have to go for a walk on my own or just be on my own. But again, I said to my husband last night, I'm really worried about this. Like, I feel like it's going, like, too far. Like, where does this end? And he was like, you're like Kate Bush. It's a cool thing. It's all good. (laughs) Like, think think like Kate Bush. It's all good. Like, keep going back to Kate Bush. I love Kate Bush. This is fine. But it's... You do question yourself, but I think it's heightened today because we are so used to seeing images on Instagram or wherever it is of people socialising, having fun, having like living their best life, whatever the hell it is. And we didn't before. And I spent loads of time on my own in my 20s and I didn't know what anyone else was doing. So I didn't really care. I think the problem feels worse than it is because of how we imbibe the lives of others that we don't need to. That must be part of it. And also because we have access to it. So I can be at home and feeling like I don't really want to see people. But then if I was to put something on social media and they knew I was in London at that time or not working at that time or I happened to be, and then they send me a message saying, hey, do you want to be? And then it's... No, I don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. And I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've kind of dropped myself in it. And it's so ridiculous because most of the time it's people I really want to see. But I just... It's, um, I don't know, it's, I've had it since I was little and my sister's very similar actually. And it, it's, I think you kind of have to laugh about it and you have to be really honest with your close friends about it because I, I you know, I think they know it's not personal, but it's when things started to open up again after the pandemic, I mean, I know it's still ongoing, but as things have started to open up again, it's just... Yeah, it's very anxiety-inducing that you don't, you no longer have a reason to be not there. And we're so contactable. Like I, I really felt this again at the weekend, where I had again lots of people that I adore texting me or leaving voice notes. I thought, oh my god, I haven't even got time to listen to these voice notes because the kids are shouting at me. Whatever the hell's going on? Yeah. And it's a bit like people turning up to your house unexpected like they haven't told you and you've got to be there to welcome them and and if you don't it's a bit rude and it's all the sort of new dance of how we deal with this sort of relentless contact that we're in with people it's it is utterly relentless and again going back even 20 years and if I think back to my early 20s 
I would see very few people and I would see them like maybe once a week if we'd go yeah. to the pub down the road or yeah. maybe they they would come to my flat but it wasn't this sort of expectation that we have to do things and see people all the time and certainly if you go back a hundred years yeah you would only probably see the people on your street or then maybe a relative who would come visit but we're so it's so again normalized that we should be seeing new people and big groups of people are going out all the time and if you're not like that and you and I clearly are not and I know <laughs> yeah. there are tons of other people who aren't you feel like there's no place for you in this yeah. weird modern world like where do I fit into this craziness I don't know and even, and even if it's just an ordinary everyday thing I mean I'm sure you have the same thing as as most people do as adults that when you go home to your parents' house, you you regress and become like 11 years old again. Of course. And, and <laughs> over Christmas or, you know, whenever we're, we're all back at home, um, my siblings and I, my brother's much more social than my sister and I. But, I mean, we could be sat in our house, my sister and I, and my mum will go to the shop and then she will call the house because she's forgotten something or she wants to ask us if we need something and neither of us will answer. And she'll it'll go to it will go to voicemail and she'll be like, girls, I've just left the house. I know you're there. She went, just pick it up. And it's like, oh, or, or someone will ring on the doorbell and we'll both be in, but we don't want to face, we don't no. want to talk to people because we're just, I don't know. It's just like a, some strange, I, I've, I've <laughs> tried to get to the bottom of it. And, and my mom was like, I can't believe I raised you this way. What happened? But it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a really funny thing. And I, I, I worked with this director who's telling me about, you know, introverts versus extroverts and that actually so so many people think that extroverts are people who are loud and can be life of life and oh, soul yeah. and social. Not and true. that's absolutely yeah, I can absolutely do that if needs be. But I think it's about where you recharge, isn't it? If you need time by yourself to feel normal or to go out and then be social again to feel better, then then you're more of a natural introvert. And then if if you're the opposite, you need to be around people to to recharge. And I've absolutely met people like that and and been completely like baffled by them. Same. How can you? How same. can that make you give, give you energy? I don't know. I find know. it only draining. I don't know. Same. I find it only draining. Like we had this lovely <laughs> author on called Jedediah Jenkins who described mm. himself, I think, as either a double or a triple extrovert. Like he wow. needs it. And I was just sat there going. I don't unimaginable not doesn't compute <laughs> a completely unimaginable and I think why I was worrying yesterday was I feel I'm getting worse as I get older with yeah. it and I shouldn't maybe use that language because is it worse or am I just honoring who I am I don't I know. know it's a fine you, line between it it's like you do feel really guilty I think it's something that makes you feel really guilty and it's also one of those things which I a lot of my close friends are also quite like that so I can go I don't know, months, sometimes years without speaking to them and they will be the same. You know, we, we almost won't realise that time has passed and it's same. fine. But then some people who aren't like that, I think must think I'm the most awful human being on the planet that I would just <laughs> let, let friendships go. because I just, And it's not because I want to and it's not because I try to. It's just I I have to be... It always works better if there's someone who is either the same or who is a real driver of... Like, we have to meet up, let's do this. Because I love it when I'm there. I'm just, it's just almost like the thought of doing something or being, or being social is too much to actually go through with it. <laughs> so, do you know what? I actually really appreciated a moment of absolute clarity yesterday where another of the mums was picking up her son from my house and she went, I'm having a birthday party next week. I haven't invited you because I know you won't come. And I said, 
thank, thank you. you because <laughs> I won't and it was just yes. like there was no hard no feelings hard either feelings. way <laughs> yeah I was like yeah oh you know I won't and thank you I appreciate you for actually telling me so I don't find out even though I probably wouldn't be upset but it's nice yeah. that you just said it out loud and we were at that place where we can do that and I thought that was cool that doesn't happen very often like what a that legend. was a moment what a legend that was a moment of absolute no bullshit honesty which I yeah I, I see you yeah. I see you I love it. Does your does any of this whether it is your your true nature same as me which is to be an introvert or mm. if we look at your own mental health or I don't know if you would use the term mental illness with OCD I am sure a lot of people would but mm. does that ever creep into your working life and if so how do you deal with it because I have certainly had times where my probably more panic attacks have tried to creep in and I have Actually, thinking about it, a not dissimilar feeling with your fear of vomiting. My mm. mine is a fear that I'm going to faint, and that's what kickstarts the panic uh, attack. Yeah. Like this is going to be the worst thing ever because I'm going to faint, and it's going to be mortifying. And I have felt it. I've been on the edge of it when I've been doing something where I need to be like in the room, focused. I'm talking live. to a group of people, or live, yeah. exactly, which has put me off. Sadly, doing live a lot because it's too much at the moment for me to cope with that. But if that does come into your working domain what what do you do yeah I mean I, I absolutely sympathize with the live thing I, I find the idea of doing theatre a lot more terrifying than I do uh screen work and I have actually just by chance because it, it happened to be what I started doing when I first left drama school was doing film and tv I've done more screen work than I have theatre so again you let the fear kind of build up much more because the the experience isn't there of, of okay I know I'm going to feel anxious and probably have a lot of adrenaline before I go on, but I can use that in a positive way. I haven't had that experience so much. So anytime I'll do a, a, a personal appearance at an event, if you're presenting an award or something or, or going to a red carpet event, then that makes me very anxious because, you know, you, you have to be yourself and there's there's only kind of one chance to do it. But then also things like if you are filming something, you know, I've had the experience before where you where you go into film and you have to do maybe like a kissing scene or something and perhaps the actor comes in and says oh god I've been up all night because my kids have got norovirus or because I've been or I've been throwing up and you just think oh my god and it just I just spiral into absolute oblivion and it makes me just want to <laughs> shut the whole thing down and do, oh, can, can we film this on a different day and you know it's like uh, it's an uh, uncontrollable anxiety um and you know now I mean luckily that hasn't happened uh, I think it's only happened once but yeah I, I try not to let it creep into work too much I think because my my brain is so busy with everything I have to do that often um I don't feel so anxious when I'm actually working it's more yeah like I said if I'm doing something personal and I there have been times maybe in my kind of late teens early 20s where um you know often for OCD even though it's not a depressive illness most of the time then they do sometimes prescribe um, antidepressants for it. So I, you know, I took a low level kind of anti-anxiety, which helped me at a certain time where I was having a lot of panic attacks. Um, and then, you know, that was just for a couple of years and then I came off it and, and that was what I needed at that time. But I think a lot of people find CBT really helpful because it's, uh, especially if you have intrusive thoughts, because it's, it's also about kind of countering that with more positive thoughts or more kind of logic based thinking. But um, for me, that never worked so much. I think that I don't even know how I would deal with it now. I've tried meditating. I'm not very good at it because I think I get too easily distracted and um, 
I have actually downloaded a couple of those apps which you know have nice rain sounds and things like that which I find quite calming if it's just something that can you know sounds of a storm that I put on if I'm yeah. trying to sleep and I can't sleep but um does it help to like so I've had this a couple of times where I've just said to the team I'm working with I might have a fear that I'm going to faint and it might send me into a panic attack so I just want to say that out loud and then it sort of makes it go a bit because it's not yeah. the secret that I've got in me yeah I think yeah actually that's probably very true since I've talked to other people about it and since I've, you know, talked openly about it, which I didn't always in a kind of work context, then I think at least, you know, people understand it and it's out there and it's not going to come as a complete curveball if some if suddenly you have a panic attack or you feel anxious or you explain a, a kind of crazy thought that you've been having about something which has come out of the blue. Yeah, so I think it, it does really help just being honest about it because... I think most people can see can see the lighter side of it and can and also can understand because I think it's it's hard to meet someone now who hasn't at some point in their life gone through a, a pretty stressful period which yeah. has caused them some mental distress or you know a version of depression or a version of an anxiety attack. I think most people understand what that's like now because we live so much of our lives online and by ourselves that I think it's inevitable. It is, and you know, and, and sadly, statistics show that more people are dealing with anxiety and more people are dealing with panic attacks and actually in much younger age groups than we've known about previously. Part of that might be because we're more willing to talk these days, but I think also it is due to how fast we're living and how much mm. information we're constantly bombarded with and how much information we believe we need to take on board because, again, it's been so normalised. So I think... You're so right. It, it, and it, and it's really, that's the wonderful bit of it is that you realise all of these thoughts or worries, concerns or things that you feel are huge problems, so many other people are going through. And that's that's a relief in itself. You know, even just to talk yeah. to you today about wanting just to not see anyone, like that's relieving yeah. to me because I really <laughs> worry, Jess, like, there's something wrong with me. And oh, yeah. it's just lovely to know that, so many other people feel like this. We just don't hear about it. Yeah, and I think it's it's equally as important to to not make light of or not undervalue the the feeling that you get if you're going through something really stressful or um, or if you're suffering with anxiety attacks. But then also on the flip side, to to think if I'm this much in my head, then. Every, the likelihood is everyone else's as well. Yeah. So no one really cares. I mean, they do, of course, and they want to help and they want to understand and, and you know, they care about your well-being if you're if, if it's someone you're close to. But it's it's also about sometimes like giving yourself a reality dose. OK, I'm I'm worrying about this thing which feels so huge in my head now. And but try and put that in the context of real life and what's going on in the world. And also just, you know, is it, am I going to be thinking about this one thing in a week, in a month, in five days? You know, sometimes you can work yourself in, into such a, a kind of state about something. And if you just try and project yourself a bit into the future and think this is going to pass, then I think also that, you know, that I think that the one thing I found really probably off-putting when I first entertained the idea of therapy or anything like that was all of the language that kind of came with it, I found it um, really, uh, it, it felt like language that didn't uh, apply to me. And I felt like it was, which sounds really awful, but I felt at the time that it was kind of wishy-washy. I didn't really know what mindfulness meant. And I didn't know what, 
you know, someone saying that they're catastrophizing or that they're self, you know, self-sabotaging. And all, all of this kind of, I felt like it wasn't real language that I could grasp onto. And it put me off the idea of therapy. I thought, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I just have this one thought which recurs a lot or I do these things, but, you know, everyone has their flaws and everyone has their thing that they do. But then actually, once you start to understand what those things mean and, you know, the, the idea of mindfulness kind of being what I was talking about as well or, or an element of that where you can try and say to yourself in that moment, this isn't forever and... I know it's something I'm going through right in this moment, but it's going to pass and this won't be how I feel maybe even tomorrow or Exactly. Next year. I mean, this too shall pass. It's the most wonderful little phrase to grab hold of in those mm. moments where you just feel like, oh, I'm going to be stuck in this forever or I'm never going <laughs> to sleep again or whatever it is. You know, yeah. it's, it's either undulating or it passes completely and we have to sort of surrender to it, I guess. As often you can't combat it. You just have to let go and, and surrender to it all. Um... I really appreciate you talking about that, Tuppence, because I know it's not, you know, easy to just jump into a conversation with someone you've never <laughs> met before about all of the inner workings of your brain. But I think it's so helpful. And we haven't really sort of delved into the world of OCD as thoroughly as we should. So it was it was mm. really fascinating talking to you about that. And as I said, I absolutely loved our house. And I know that oh, everyone you. is going to be gripped by it because it's just <laughs> perfect length perfect episodes it's perfectly stressful manageably stressful yes um gripping is the word and I, I wish you all the luck with all the busyness and and I hope that you keep feeling you know like you're you're balanced amongst all the the kind of chaos and craziness of promoting this and the Downton movie that's coming out soon etc um yeah. I wish you all all the best with with all of it thank you so much and I hope you get some sleep soon <laughs> I would say we should meet up but we won't <laughs> <laughs> I will never see you again, Tuppence, but it's been no, glorious. It's been lovely. <laughs> Staying in the moment. Oh my gosh, I loved chatting to Tuppence. I love Tuppence. I actually do want to meet up with her. I would really, really love that. I don't think I'd have much angst. It would be a joy to finally meet her, but lovely to talk to her today nonetheless. You can watch Our House on ITV and ITV Hub from the 7th of March, and you really should. It is so gripping. Make sure you're back here next week for another episode of Happy Place by clicking the follow button on your podcast app. And while you're there clicking follow in various places, come and follow us on Instagram too. We're Happy Place Official. Loads of good vibes going on there to help you feel lifted and boosted every day. I absolutely love reading your comments and love seeing you there too, so please do join us. Massive thanks again to Tuppence. I uh, should also add that she has the best name in the world. Uh, to the producer, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio. And to you for listening, you gorgeous lot. I'll speak to you very soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com